You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome, good morning, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kayum, um, coming to you live from Battle for Two House of Victories uh, complex in Morden in Surrey, one of the largest mosques in Western Europe. Um, coming to you with uh, interesting topics as always for breakfast. Um, from 7.30 onwards, we're going to be talking about uh, rainforests, how much of our rainforests are left and why they are reducing so rapidly. We're going to be talking to some experts who will be shedding some light on this topic and adding some substance to the topic. Um, but as always, we're going to start with uh, the, the weather. It is uh, The weather has been changing. Yesterday was uh, uh, stormy weather. Um, in London, it was most definitely uh, heavy heavy winds, rain, um, and uh, added with uh, a little bit of chill, the morning and the evenings uh, are most definitely um, changing, uh, changing its tone. But today, southern areas will be mostly dry with variable cloud, although the southeast will be sunny. The, the north will be cloudier with showers, mainly in the afternoon, and west to Scotland will be breezy. During the overnight period, Northern Ireland and Scotland will see a band of showery rain push south eastwards. Uh, the south is likely to be mostly dry um, with some partial cloud, but largely clear in the southeastern areas. I mean, the sun, even though it will be out and about, um, it will be, as I call it always, a fake sun because uh, you still feel the cold. The sun is there. Yeah, and you think um, it's it's warm, it's hot, till you step outside, and uh, you feel the breeze. Let's see what the papers are talking about. Um, of course, um, yesterday was the final day of the Conservative Party conference, where the speech delivered by Prime Minister Liz Truss to the conference has been the focus for most of the front pages. The Daily Express starts by saying... She came out uh, fighting, sweeping aside Tory party turmoil and vowing to get Britain through the tempest ahead. Um, Defiant Liz takes fight to her critics, says the Daily Mail's verdict, declaring that after 12 stormy days, the Prime Minister has roused Tories by pledging to defeat the enemies of growth. I mean, I heard this, uh, I heard this, uh, this this speech and found it a bit strange uh, you know every every party conference every leader irrespective of which party you belong to looks for the catchphrase and the catchphrase that the mainstream media has kind of picked up on yesterday was the enemies of growth i mean the the conference was disturbed by um um greenpeace activists um who were also deemed as enemies of growth i mean labor party was deemed as enemies of growth uh, Liberal Democrats, uh, SNP, I mean, anything and everything uh, was enemies of growth who wasn't uh, conservative, yet uh, some of the most um, blunt criticism um, um, of uh, the Prime Minister at the moment has actually come from her own party. Um, so um, a bit... A bit um, confusing as to um, is she referring to her own people 
or is she referring to uh, the opposition or is it just um, PR uh, at the moment? It looks like PR because um, banks um, haven't reacted well. Uh, fixed rate interest rates went up from 2.5%. I think uh, late last night I heard it was just over 6% is the, is the best new fixed rate being offered, um, which is three times um, what uh, what it used to be meaning payments will go up. Average payments is likely to go up. Um, you know, your £300 mortgage will become £900. And there's a question of, and that, if that's the price of growth one is paying, then uh, with the cost of living gone up 20% on average, your shopping bills have gone up on average 20%. Uh, bills, we already know, gas, electric, everybody talks about the cap, but the cap is also an increase just because a cap has been set doesn't mean that the prices haven't gone up. So it's it is it is hard times. Um I did find strange one or two um one or two statements that were made. Um the Prime Minister referred to herself as the first Prime Minister who actually went to a comprehensive actually uh, no. Sir John Major uh, actually was um went to Rutlish in Wimbledon. Um um, he actually moved, and uh, as a young child, his family moved to Brixton. They lived in Brixton. He dropped out of school at the age of sixteen. Then he did, uh, um, you know, he did courses um, in banking before he moved on um, into full-time employment into the banking world. Um, and from there, he kind of built his um, his career. So, um, uh, Sir John Major, the, the former Tory, uh, former Conservative. Um, Prime Minister who replaced Margaret Thatcher. Um, he was, um, you know, a, a South London boy, Wimbledon boy, um, uh, uh, you know, who has, who suffered hard times, uh, but came through. Um, and also, from a Labour perspective, uh, Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown is famous to being um, uh, um, a student of Comprehensive who came good. Um, you know, he was... Uh, he was always deemed as a, a you know very intelligent gifted child is is what i heard and and i read up on it so um we have had prime ministers before who have attended um comprehensive schools the time uh, sorry let's go to the guardian the guardian says the um tr- trusses delivers a new common enemy to fractured tory party so and the Financial Times thinks that her attack on what is the so-called anti-growth coalition is clear bid to get her new premiership on track. The Times quotes the former Culture Secretary Nadir Doris, who was a who was a staunch supporter of Liz, of um, of the Prime Minister. She says the Prime Minister has made some big mistakes, and the government has lurched to the right, leaving the centre ground to Labour. I mean, if if I was to say that statement um, and not quote who it is, you'd think it would be the enemies of growth who are making this statement. But this is um, her own former cultural secretary and who was a ardent supporter uh, in the um, leadership election. The Eyes front page claims a cabinet rebellion is growing over benefits with ministers pressing for them to be increased in line with inflation. After the 45p U-turn, this is going to be, or this is... um, um, what everyone is saying will be the next U-turn where 
um, obviously they need to kind of cost and justify the this the the, the, the where the money's going to come from for all these cuts and uh, if it's not going to be the if it's not going to be any windfall taxes or if it's not going to be um, other other uh, sources then the most likely source is likely to be um, the benefits which will be hammered um, and departments will be hammered with cuts to make up um, for for the for for the money um, and the Delhi Telegraph also depicts a party official on stage um, and this, it's a cartoon depicting uh, a party official on stage addressing Tory members great news it declares the Labour Party has offered to pay for our conference to go on for another three days um, the Telegraph has led f with uh, analysis um, by the Institute for Fiscal Studies um, of the effect of leaving tax thresholds frozen. It reports that the fiscal drag stealth raid will mean the average household is more than £1,400 worse off, despite the tax cuts of the mini-budget. Overall, the paper calculates that the rise in income taxes will be totalling £21 billion. A Treasury spokesman tells The Telegraph that the government is committed to high growth and low tax. Um, whilst uh, the Daily Express uh, um, has uh, written about Home Secretary Suella Braverman, saying that uh, she wants to see a return to old-fashioned common-sense policing, catching criminals rather than filling in forms, she welcomes an announcement from police chief yesterday that all burgled homes will be visited by an officer. But as always, headlines. Uh, I would love to know how they're going to do it. With uh, with uh, with, um, if this has been possible all the time, then why has it not been done before? Um, clearly, um, there is still a massive shortage in manpower. So, um, and finally, um, the none, none of the papers, none of the papers talk about anything else, which is quite frustrating because there's a lot of stuff happening in and around the world, um, and uh, you know Ukraine. Um, Ukraine is uh, Ukrainians are talking about how they have taken control back of a lot of the regions that uh, um, that President Putin has uh, has you know did a did a massive uh, um, you know there was it was showmanship that was the way he added um, a lot of the territory into Russia where there was a lot of facade and a lot of drama um, but. Uh, Zelensky, President Zelensky, has said that uh, the Ukrainians have made a lot of ground back, and uh, that uh, the Russians are having to retreat a lot in a lot of the places. Um, in Iran, the, the the protests are carrying on, um, and uh, in in a, in a video that's gone viral, there's a parliamentary speaker who's being heckled by young Iranian schoolgirls. Um, the generations of of these Iranian women, young women and men, in this particular instance, it's got to say, men have also been very supportive of uh, of of uh, of, the, of this action that's being taken by Iranian women. Um, it's gone around the world, and a lot of a lot of people have come out and spoken um, about uh, about the atrocity, as they have put it, that uh, some of these women have to go through. Um, dealt out by the morality police the so-called morality police um in uh, in in iran 
Um, the Iranians have come out, the government has come out and blamed uh, Israel and the United States for for fueling the fire. Um, and uh, and that's uh, not the kind of response, really, that uh, it's not a political issue. It's uh, it's more of a question. It's a domestic issue. And uh, I think they, should, they, they need to kind of... Uh, Take action on a on a domestic basis instead of blaming um, outside forces for for this. I'm sure there's the social media has played a played a huge part as always in some of these things. Um, social media kind of is is the is the tool that um, that everybody uses in this day and age to get the message across. Um, looking at sport, um, Haaland scores two as Man City thumps Copenhagen. And Chelsea beat AC Milan three 0 in um, in in the in the European in the Champions League um, uh, matches that were held midweek um, over the over the weekend. Um, Formula One. Um, it was an interesting race. Red Bull all again, but this time it wasn't. Uh, uh, this time it wasn't uh, our friend uh, Mr. Verstappen who was on the uh, who, who was on the winners. It was uh, his uh, his his teammate Perez who won the the, the race in in quite some style. Um, it was it was an excellent drive. It was an excellent win, um, and uh, I think uh, Red Bull are now to a point where. Even the, the constructor championship is uh, is is too far to to they're way too far ahead, and they're going to be on. Uh, they're not going to be. They're not going. No one's going to be able to challenge them. So, Mercedes and and Ferrari, they're going to be fighting for second place. You're listening to the breakfast show with myself, Kayum. Um We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning, um, which is all about rainforests so do stay tuned grab yourself a cup of coffee and uh, join me after these brief messages Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB. 
via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, KU, on 6th of October 2022. It's coming on to 7.30am, going on to our first topic of the morning, which is, why are our remarkable rainforests so important? So the gist of the story is that a rainforest is an area of tall, mostly evergreen trees and a high amount of rainfall. Rainforests, uh, rainforests are Earth's oldest living ecosystems, with some surviving in their present form for at least 70 million years. They are incredibly diverse and complex, home to Earth's surface. They provide us with many resources and services. This is an article that appeared in uh, the education section of the National Geographic, um, the, the, the famous uh, publication and, and television show. Um, so rainforests are disappearing. Um, I'm sure everyone has uh, read about this. This is the topic of uh, not just a conversation. I think it's part and parcel of our curriculum that kids get taught. And so many forests, um, so many programs have been made by environmentalists um, who have... Uh, um, been raising alarms for 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 decades um, that uh, rainforests are disappearing at an alarming pace, largely due to human development over the past few centuries. So not decades, but centuries. Um, the need, the greed of man has become um, so so important to them that uh, um, they are they are they have started to sacrifice um, Mother Earth. Uh, in order to to feed their hunger and their greed. Once covering 14% of land on Earth, rainforests are now um, only 6%. I mean, 8% disappeared. Since 1947, the total area of tropical rainforests has, pro- has been reduced by more than half to about 6.2 to 7.8 million square kilometres, which is about 3 million square miles. Unsustainable industrial and agricultural development has severely degraded the health of the world's rainforests. I mean, I think it was only, what, three years ago or just before the pandemic or at the beginning of the pandemic, there were all these pictures of the Amazon in Brazil where forest fires and, and uh, uh, you know, the Brazilian government was uh, was uh, was the target of, of uh, was targeted or accused of uh, destroying the rainforests. Um, I mean, uh, Brazil, in fact, uh, um, is going through a terminal term period at the moment. I mean, uh, there's uh, there's elections happening, and and part and parcel of of how the rainforests and Amazon rainforests are treated has always been a part uh, part of uh, the the uh, the Brazilian election and uh, the Brazilian campaigns done by done by whoever the candidates are. And biologists expect rainforests will lose five to ten percent of their species each decade. Rampant deforestation could cause many important rainforest habitats to disappear completely within the next hundred years. <clears throat> the Holy Quran says in uh, in the heights, verse eighty-five, and do not and do no mischief on the earth after it has been set in order. That will be best for you. It has if we if ye have faith. Um, so how do we benefit? Uh, how do, how does uh, rainforest benefit the environment? Um, rainforests are, as I said, 
the Earth's oldest living ecosystems, um, with some surviving in their present form um, for millions of years. They are incredibly diverse and complex, home to more than half of the world's plant and animal species. Yep, you heard it correct, half of the world's plant and animal species, even though they cover only 6% of Earth's surface. This makes rainforests astoundingly dense with flora and fauna. A 10 square kilometer um, patch can contain as many as 1,500 flowering plants, 750 species of trees, 400 species of birds, and 150 species of butterflies. Now, now imagine this, 6%, only 6% of the Earth's surface. And, and 1,500 flowering plants, 750 species of trees, 400 species of birds, 150 species of butterflies. I mean, if one was to, obviously, these things are not in single, they're not in single numbers. They're in multiple, hundreds and hundreds of numbers and, and, and thousands when it comes to plants and trees. And, and uh, that just, uh, if one was to envisage it, the density would be, would, would be, um, um, mind-boggling. Rainforest rich diversity is incredibly important to our well-being and the well-being of our planet. Rainforests help regulate our climate and provide us with everyday products. Um, it's always been said that uh, it's not, it's, I don't think people say it enough. I don't think this is something which is, um, which is, which is spoken enough that, that, that the importance of, uh, um, of of these rainforests to our planet uh, and the well-being of of our planet isn't spoken about enough. Um, I think it's something that kids get taught in school, um, uh, and and, um, and 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 then it's left um, to um, left to people to kind of maybe uh, take it up as an own interest, and uh, and uh, people are left to their own accord to uh, to read and. Uh, um, and to kind of cover their own knowledge base on this topic, and and I I always feel that um, yeah now climate change is in the news and it's become a political topic, um, so everybody kind of talks about it um, a lot more, but um, I think uh, things like and topics like rainforests needs to be an everyday topic, um, and and not just a, 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 an agenda on on a political forum, um, because. Uh, it's not just the politicians who make the difference. It's the individuals who make the difference too. Let's go and talk to our first guest of the morning. We have got with us uh, Professor Mark Mulligan, um, who is a professor of physical and environmental geography at King's College London. Um, his expertise in tropical forests across South America, Asia and Africa, including uh, our impact upon them and their role as supporting. Good morning. Welcome. Assalamualaikum and peace be on you, Professor. Thank you. Good morning. Um, thank you for taking time and coming on to the breakfast show on on and discuss such a, an important topic, which just doesn't get spoken about enough. Um, how how have humans negatively impacted the tropical forests, Professor? Well, I think first it's important to to give a, a short overview of what tropical forests are. Please. And on the one hand the Earth's oldest living ecosystems, and, and they're home to around half of the Earth's plant and animal species, even though they cover only 7% uh, 
uh, of the land on the earth. And, and it's important to recognize that one hectare, which is only 100 meters by 100 meters of rainforest, can have around 600 species of tree. Uh, that's more species of tree than we have in the whole of, 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 of Western Europe. And each species of tree, of course, has its own set of specific um, insect species upon which mammals, amphibians, reptiles, and birds feed. So these are really amazing ecosystems. Um, and even we have them outside of the tropics. We have temperate rainforests, small pockets of them, uh, even in the UK. How have humans negatively impacted them? Well, the main uh, way in which humans have, have affected rainforests is that we have deforested in the last 10,000 years around a third of all global forests. So 30% of all global forests uh, have been deforested. And half of that has been lost in the last 100 years. So that's an area the size of Portugal every two years uh, um, that is lost. Professor, I mean... All these countries and all these powers to be who do this, do do carry out this deforestation, do they not know the impact of what they're doing? Well, the the mostly it's us that create deforestation because most of deforestation is is for the production of commodities, which mostly we uh, consume. Uh, and when I say we, I, I mean the people who are listening your program, including myself. Hmm. So we are the ultimate drivers of, of deforestation. And, and we know it's a problem for climate, for all sorts of reasons. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are in this commodity-driven cycle of production. Yeah. And, and all we need to do is to ensure that we do that a bit more carefully and we think things through so that we, you know, we're not going to retain all the world's rainforests, but we need to retain enough so that we get what they provide, which is beyond food, uh, as well as, of course, the land that we need for food production. Now, as a consumer, I mean, of course, I understand when you say that, um, you know, we as individuals, uh, rightfully so, it, it is a responsibility of some individuals. We are also part and parcel of the problem and a threat to rainforests. But what is it? that I can say to a consumer or I can say to a friend of mine, say, look, this is what rainforests gives us as human beings. What is it that, why are rainforests so important to us? Well, they're important in, in a variety of ways. The, the most important, I think, are that they provide a, a series of things which we call ecosystem services. These are benefits that we get from nature. Uh, and those include regulating the climate. You know, tropical rainforests take up carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they tie it up in timber and soil for hundreds of years, keeping it out of the atmosphere and thus reducing greenhouse warming. They also regulate more regional climates because they have so many leaves that they make it very easy for water to evaporate when it has rained. So they themselves generate clouds and produce more rainfall. This is what we call a rainfall recycling. And then more locally, they will help in downstream mitigation of floods, hmm. right? Because they act as, people say they act as sponges, and there's a lot of truth in that. And they help provide clean water that dilutes contaminants from surrounding agricultural land, reducing the impact of, of pollution upon us. So they, they have all of these ecosystem services. They also contain in most of the world's biodiversity, and, and that's not just important in its own right. Uh, biodiversity has intrinsic value. It's not for us uh, as one species to 
to, to make all other species extinct. But biodiversity also is a pool of potential solutions. For example, 120 prescription drugs sold today are derived directly from rainforest plants, and most rainforest plants have never been studied. Mm-hmm. So we really don't know what solutions are there. So, so basically, the destruction of uh, and the deforestation of these rainforests, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot and making ourselves extinct over time. We make, we're certainly making our future life, our children, our grandchildren's lives, much more difficult by not being more careful about, about not just rainforests, but our treatment of all ecosystems today. So it, can, in addition to us as people, what are the other biggest threats to rainforests around the world? Well, beyond deforestation, the other greatest threat um, is that of climate change. Um, As I said, you know, rainforests are actually our assistant when it comes to climate change. They Mm. help us reduce climate change. But if we cut rainforests, then, um, you know, or or we emit carbon dioxide uh, that creates climate change, then that climate change itself can affect rainforests. Because rainforests are, are humid systems, they require lots of rainfall, they require a, a, a seasonality of temperature. And if, if that changes, if rainforest areas dry out, then they become, they stop being rainforests and they become savannas, which are a very different type of ecosystem, which doesn't take out so much carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So f- rather than being our friend, um, rainforests then are, are sort of converted into a different system that, that doesn't help with climate change. So the climate change is the other big threat. There are other smaller, more localized threats around fire and invasive species and things like that. But the problem with climate change is, of course, we can designate a protected area to prevent deforestation and it make it illegal to deforest in a protected area. But a protected area is not going to stop climate change, uh, you know, destroying a rainforest. Now, with all the, the, these these concerns, what is being done by conservation organizations to help in raising awareness? And in fact, more than awareness is to take action, especially, I mean, as I, as I said earlier, when it, when, when it comes um, a, a political decision to make, the first thing that people kind of or politicians tend to compromise on is, is, is environment. Um, as we've seen in recent days, um, um, the example where, uh, where whenever there's a green levy or, or there's green issues, it's it's worth com- people are the politicians are more than willing to compromise on those things. So, what practical um, work is being done um, to to kind of raise awareness and and take some uh, affirmative action on this? Yes, I mean, I think you're right that, that you know, the environment is sometimes the, the first thing to go when, when there are challenges, and, and, and politicians think that that is a, an easy, easy win. But, in fact, there has been a big backlash to this, and the public, I think, generally don't think the same. The public are much more in the environment and, and are much more you know, dependent on the environment maybe than than the the more remote wealthier politicians are hmm. there are the, the main the main tool that we have in conservation is is the protected area and these are generally not areas that are sort of fenced off from people but rather they're areas in which there are strong regulations that minimize environmental damage in this country we call them national parks but but generally they a wide variety of different 
types of protected areas. And people still live and work in protected areas and indigenous land use practices are still permitted. But these commercial exploitative ones are not. And the great success story in conservation, and we have to be really positive about this, is that we set a target some decades ago that we would reach 17% of global land protected by 20, uh, by 2020. And indeed, we got to 16.6%. So we did all right. Mm. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's a really good success story. Now, there are still challenges there. Not all of those protected areas are properly protected, and there is still some illegal deforestation within them. Some of them are highly degraded to start with. So most of the national parks we have in the UK are actually protecting agricultural landscapes, not the native forests that should be in them. And as I said earlier, protecting against land use change doesn't protect a rainforest from being damaged by climate change. So protected areas can't do everything, but they can do a lot. And and you're right to, to mention, you know, yes, part of it is about, you know, knowledge and understanding, but part of it is about action. And the action that's coming up is that the protected area target for 2030, which will be negotiated at COP15 Biodiversity Summit in December, is quite likely to be 30%. And that is a significant uh, increase uh, in the amount of land globally that we would commit to looking after in this way, because Mm. we've got to get the right balance between nature and food production in the landscape, and people recognize that. So 30% of nature protected by 2030 is ambitious, but absolutely necessary. Wonderful. Professor Mark Mulligan, thank you so much, sir, for coming on to The Breakfast Show this morning and and adding some substance onto this very important topic. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you, sir. Thank you. Let's go straight on to our next guest. Um, We have with us Sabine from Celtic, who is an ecologist. Good morning. Welcome. Assalamu alaikum. And peace be on you, Sabine. Do we have Sabine with us? Morning. Morning. Nope. I'm sure Brother Zishan will uh, will try and reconnect with uh, with, uh, with with Sabine. Good morning, Sabine. Can you hear me? No. Okay. So, Professor Mulligan oh. made some. Ah, we've got Sabine. Hello. Hi, Sabine. Hello. Sabine from Celtic. Hi. Sabine from Celtic Rainforest in Wales. Good morning. Welcome, and peace be on Good you. Good morning. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much for coming on to the breakfast show this morning. Um. Sabine, Mark, uh, Professor Mark Mulligan just talked about um, how we as consumers are one of the biggest reasons behind rainforests being deforest because the greed of man to to yeah. to to uh, you know to to want more um, is is one of the reasons why rainforests are being sacrificed. But could you tell us other reasons why rainforests are being cut down rapidly around the world? And and what are the main? I mean, as much as we as individuals are kind of a driving force, what are the main? What are the other main driving forces behind the cutting down of rainforests? Yeah, so there's. I mean, I mean, it is. It does really go back to um, the professor's uh, comments because because we have a, a rising population with a rising demand, and and as he described, our our rate of consumerism is increasing as well. People are expecting to have more and more. Um, so that obviously puts pressure on the rainforest, as it does on all natural resources of this planet. Um, and, and really specifically, the rainforests of the world are, are under threat and continued under threat um, because of directly because of um, timber. 
So we want the, the cedar shingles for our house um, and the teak uh, furniture for our gardens. Um, agriculture and the production of uh, you know, big productive crops like soya and palm. So I live in Snowdonia in the north of Wales and a lot of the um, animals that, are, that graze here are, are fed on grass. But in other parts of the UK and of the world, we, we feed our animals um, soya-based products. Uh, and that comes a lot of the time from land that's been claimed from rainforest because it's, because it's such a fast-growing crop on that, on that land for the first few years. Um, cattle ranching, uh, mining and oil, there's great sources of diamonds and gold and aluminium under the rainforest. Um, and then another uh, surprising threat to rainforest, uh, which people might not think of or, or, or might not think is a threat, is big hydroelectric dams. Um, uh, uh, the World Bank and other international banks do fund developing countries to generate renewable energy, um, energy which you know, makes that country more self-sustainable. Um, but that can be, and that does happen to to occur sometimes in rainforest basins. So rainforest is actually flooded um, to, to create green energy, ironically. Now, um, yeah. you know, we, we're talking about um, the, the, the need for, for man um, to, to kind of uh, 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 nurture his own greed. But what, in, in, in reality, in, in, from a layman's perspective, what is it that we're actually losing um, mm, yeah. um, by by, yeah, so by by destroying rainforests? Yes, because we're because I'm I'm speaking of the rainforest as a natural resource that's yeah. there for us yeah. to extract or to, for us to harvest. Yeah. And, and yeah. we all know that there's more to it than that, yes. isn't there? Uh, rainforests have this disproportionate role on our planet for the amount of land that they cover. They produce or they harbor such biodiversity. They store so much carbon in those big trees and in the peat that grows underneath them. Um, and they act as the world's sponge and they help uh, catch the water and regulate water and create whole, whole um, climate systems. Um, uh, and I think that, you know, if you think about, if you think about just, just the biodiversity part, for, for example, um, disproportionate amount like uh, there's there's only a little bit of rainforest on this planet and yet so many species are coming out of there so many plants and animals uh, and people indigenous people who could not live let alone thrive if the rainforest wasn't there with them and if you think about this idea of that's biodiversity that's uh, the diversity of these rare endemic species and all species, it's difficult to explain, but all species have a right to exist and a role to play on our planet. Even if we as humans can't really comprehend what that role is, why that species is there. That, that's Th very important. That's a, that important point doesn't get said enough. That they, the, no. every, every species has a part to play in the life yeah. cycle of the planet, doesn't it? It does. There's, uh, in fact, there's um, two conservationists uh, in the... 1990s, they were called Ehrlich and Walker, and they came up with this analogy that I think is is very useful to explain why biodiversity is important. Please. And they said Please. that um, they said that the the world think of the world as an airplane, or think of an airplane as the world, 
and the airplane is um, held together by nuts and bolts. And those nuts and bolts are the species on our planet. Wow. So you wouldn't go into an airplane hmm. if it was missing a lot of nuts and bolts. <laughs> yep. You wouldn't trust it. It wouldn't work. We don't really know what each nut and bolt does. We don't really see the value of them as an individual. But as a whole, that's what makes the whole planet function. Wonderful. Now, how is your organization, the Celtic Rainforest Wales, helping prevent the, the loss of rainforest? Yeah, so people might be surprised to hear that there is rainforest here in the UK. <laughs> um, and and what, we, what it is, is it's a temperate rainforest. So we have fragments, um, less than 2%, of what used to be here in terms of temperate rainforest. And it's very rainy. Anybody who's been to Wales knows how uh, wet it is here. And so on the west coast of Wales, west coast of Scotland and Ireland, there's this temperate rainforest zone where our forests would have naturally have been rainforests. Um, there's similar ones on the south coast of the Caspian Sea, the Black Sea, um, the west coast of Canada, mm -hmm. where I'm originally from. So. So, so this is a temperate rainforest, and sadly, there's very little left in the UK. So what the Celtic Rainforest Project is doing is um, for seven years, we have funding from Europe, and uh, we're working on five designated areas in Wales, that basically like nature reserves. But like um, Professor Mulligan said, um, people are allowed into these nature reserves. Uh, so five designated areas which hold the remaining, the best examples of our remaining rainforest. And we're looking at those sites and um, trying to protect them. Now, they are not under threat of logging. These are, all of the woodlands in the UK are, are protected to, to an extent, and definitely those like our rainforest bits are protected. But what they are under threat of here in the UK, the biggest threat is invasive species, and more particularly rhododendron. Um, which comes from well, from the north of, of Spain and into, in, in, into the Black Sea area. Uh, so this rhododendron was introduced during the Victorian ages, and it's got beautiful pink flowers in early summer, um, but the rest of the year it just provides this like evergreen, dark canopy under the big old moss-covered oak trees. And that rhododendron kills everything underneath it so it prevent it's actually limiting biodiversity and limiting young trees from growing back so so we're working we're finding the rhododendron we're looking at we're making sure that it gets killed um we're also looking at other threats to to our remaining rainforest sometimes the rainforests are, are overgrazed um sometimes they're undergrazed uh, uh, and sometimes conifers and uh, non-native conifers like spruce were planted in, in these old rainforest sites um, for timber back in the 1950s. And, um, and, and so we're trying to restore that, cut out the old spruce and, and, and get the old, the native woodland back. Wonderful. Sabine from Celtic Rainforest Wales, I can, I can carry on and ask you so long more questions, but we are coming up to the <laughs> hour. I just want to thank you. I'm grateful that you took time out and came onto the breakfast show for us this morning. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. Assalamu alaikum. Yes. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Goodbye. And that was Sabine from uh, Celtic Rainforest Welsh. Who's an, she's an ecologist who has worked in Snowdonia for 16 years with a particular interest in working with farmers, landowners and rangers to improve the environment. For the last two years, 
She has been one of the project officers for the Celtic Rainforest Project. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum. We're going to go take a quick break um, and uh, go to the 8 a.m. news and uh, listen to some messages. And then we're going to come back and we're going to carry on and talk to um, further guests who will be able to shed some light onto the discussion of the morning. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, go and get yourself some breakfast and join me after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. My question is, how important is it for Ahmadi Muslims to fight climate change? Very important. You should use, try to avoid your using car while traveling for a short distance. Right? Either walk to that place or use bicycle. Hmm? Right? Yeah. Cycling is good for your health as well. Secondly, you every MD should make it a point that he should plant two trees every year. This is how you can fight climate change. Huh? If you are here, if we have 30,000 Ahmadis here in the UK or more, then every year we plant 60,000 trees. Huh? If not possible here, then those who travel to other countries, they can plant trees there. So in this way, we can help. A new station, the Voice of Islam with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show. You There you were listening to His Holiness, the Fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Musur Ahmad, may Allah strength in his hand, answering a question to a young uh, member of the Amdiya Muslim uh, Women's Organization um, as to how, as individual Ahmadi Muslims, what our responsibilities are towards um, looking after our earth and such simple ways of how we can contribute um, um, in, in looking after uh, and protecting the climate. Um, sticking to the topic of climate, let's go to our, our, our next guest uh, of the morning. We've got with us uh, John Cannon. John Cannon is a staff features writer with uh, Mongabe, a non-profit environmental science and conservation news platform good morning welcome and welcome to the breakfast show john good morning great to be with you uh, thank you for taking time out and, and and joining us this morning um why are our rainforests so important for the human race uh, that's a great question i mean i think you know it starts it starts globally obviously you know they're a huge source of biodiversity you know something like 80 percent of all species are from the tropical rainforests, you know, and that's on just about 6% of Earth's land. And that's just the ones we know about. There's likely many, many, many more that, that many, many more species out there that we don't know about. Um, and then, you know, they regulate our, our water, our weather, both locally and regionally. And of course, they're incredibly important for the balance of oxygen and, and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, and then if you, if you drill down a little bit further, you know, locally and regionally, these these uh, areas are very important to, you know, indigenous communities, um, local groups around the world who use these these uh, forests often sustainably um, for resources and for their own livelihoods. 
So rainforests are often called the lungs of the planet. Can you please explain and and expand on this and explain how the rainforests are relevant to the stability of our weather systems? And, and, you know, I was discussing earlier with with Sabine uh, from uh, Wales Rainforest and Mark uh, and uh, Professor Mulligan that these topics tend to come up either or they get taught to kids in school or... Or, you know, in, in, in our education system, these things get only um, chosen if that is your particular interest. It's not something um, that is spoken about often enough for the layman's perspective. Specialists, yes, but from a layman's perspective, could you kind of elaborate on this? This um, um, self, It's self-explanatory, but still, um, the, diff, the, the word lungs of the planet, why is it so important? Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, they're often called the lungs of the planet. And, and in, in a sense, that, that is correct. I mean, they do, uh, you know, provide us with a, liv- a livable atmosphere. Without, without these forests and, you know, the host of other plants that populate our planet, we wouldn't have the oxygen that we need to survive. Um, and it wouldn't remove the carbon dioxide that, you know, that, uh, you know, is essentially, you know, poison to us in, at certain levels. So that that function is is very important, um, but there's you know at Manga Bay actually a couple of years ago we had a, a agroforestry researcher write a really great piece talking about how that characterization of tropical rainforest is a bit incomplete because they actually do much more as well, and that speaks to the other part of your question. You know they can also be considered sort of like the kidneys. Um, they regulate water and and weather to an extent that we're I think in many ways just beginning to understand. Um, but, you know, put very simply, I mean, if you think about the canopy of a rainforest, as the rain falls, it, that canopy actually acts as like a physical filter so that all of the water doesn't just come down in a big deluge and wash out, you know, the soil below and, and, and that sort of thing, creating erosion and, you know, you know getting rid of the, the valuable nutrients on the surface of the, the forest floor, um, you know, that, that all these other plants and then the animals that depend on them survive on so that's that's part of the function they also you know take that water then and draw it back up you know as the as these um, trees photosynthesize they're pulling carbon dioxide out of the air they're using the sunlight to to create energy and and they draw the water up the, the the trunks of the trees you know in some cases in parts of borneo you have trees that are 100 meters tall so it's way up into the atmosphere and then the that this process called transpiration releases water and that actually leads to cloud formation. So that locally contributes to the weather that, uh, you know, is in that particular area, both, and then, and then regionally as well. And it actually acts as, you know, it, 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 it regulates that water flow and it also uh, regulates the temperature as well. And that's something, that's something, you know, you talk about, um, you, you talked about uh, studying this in school and I wish, you know, I wish we could all take uh, you know students in school to to some of these rainforests to see that that sort of uh, what it feels like to be in them. Because mm. you know, I've been in some of these places where you know in the rainforest, of course, it's hot and it's it's steamy and muggy. But as if you step from there to a place that's been deforested, you can feel immediately this wall of heat, and it's you know from this beating sunlight that that hits the tropics around the world. So it's you know, they're incredibly important for, you know, weather and, and, and those sorts of things that you're asking about there. Um, John, what, which, 
how what percentage of the rainforest has man actually explored as has man been through most of it or the, or there's still unexplored rainforests out there um i would say that that's a that's a really good question you know i'm i'm not sure of the exact percentage um i'm sure there are pockets of rainforest or parts of rainforest especially in the amazon because it's such a huge place you know um that they may have not been explored but then you also have in parts of the, the rainforest, you have you have indigenous communities. Exactly, um, that, that was the point I was going to give. There must be yeah. communities out there who are, which no one's ever discovered. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, you know, and some of them, I think, you know, today it's becoming, um, um, you know, less and less common to find, you know, a new community that no one knows about. But there, there is a there is a push now to, in fact, empower those communities to say whether they want to be contacted. So there are some communities that, re- that remain in the forest, living as they have for a long time, um, voluntarily, I guess, in, in isolation. And that's, uh, you know, that's sort, of be- that's sort of become a bigger issue as, you know, we, we think about our relationship with tropical rainforest and, and it's become more of a human rights issue, I think. Hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, biodiversity and, and what is significant about rainforests immense biodiversity and how is this reduced by deforestation sure yeah no as i mentioned you know some, something like 80 percent of all known species are you know are from the, the tropical rainforest and again that's only the known species so many scientists believe that we're we're just we've just touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of identifying them so um you know, that that in, a, in itself is is I think a reason to to preserve the rainforest because you know there's a lot of life out there that performs functions that we likely rely on every day that we we don't know about. Um, but yes, it is you know deforestation uh, is is a huge issue for the biodiversity that lives there. It's 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 the destruction of habitat. You know, just the physical um, you know shelter that these rainforests provide. Of course. You know, many of the, the species rely on the plants, you know, up on, on through the food chain in these, in these areas. So that's, um, once you start to, to cut these forests down or degrade them in some ways, um, you lose the, that ability for the rainforest to support um, biodiversity. You know, and, it's, it's, and then, you know, we have to think of, you know, we as humans walk around the earth and, and more or less our environment is two-dimensional, but these forests are really three-dimensional environments in so many ways. I mean, if you look at a primary rainforest that's never been cut down, and you go into the canopy, and again, 100 meters high in some places, that's an entire ecosystem on, in and of itself. And if you cut that forest, even if you let it grow back, which is a good thing, if we, if we grow back the rainforest where they've been cut down, that's, a, that's always a good thing. But um, you lose that, you know, that that really diverse, um, complicated ecosystem that runs from the base of these trees all the way up to the top. Now, how has um, Monga Bay, uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, contributed to conservation of rainforests? And how should we raise awareness um, on this topic? I mean, I spoke earlier about how, you know, children are, are, thank God children are spoke, uh, are taught and informed and made aware of climate change at a young age in schools. But um, should should that not be kind of be a consistent topic to be spoken about on a daily basis? 
on social media, on platforms like television, radios, like what we're doing today. It, it doesn't get done enough, does it? No, I think you're right. Yeah, and I think, um, well, one one way to answer that, I think, is 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 finding ways to to present that connection. You know, that connection that we all have, whether it's through the through the regulation of weather or the water cycle or you know the the, the carbon dioxide that's increasingly found in our atmosphere since you know since the industrial revolution and that sort of thing. So, um, I think. At Mangabay, really, our hope is to bring the latest science, you know, to to what's happening, as well as as we're increasingly learning the indigenous and community knowledge around the world that has helped these groups in a lot of places live sustainably with the rainforest, because that's a critical aspect. I think we're learning more and more. Again, it kind of goes back to that human rights issue of saying, you know, we are connected to to the rainforest as we are to many other ecosystems. It's not just the rainforest, but we are connected to these places and finding a way to, to, to coexist with them uh, in a way that, you know, not, we're not necessarily separate from them, um, I think is, is really important. So I think, I think to me, that's one way that we can raise more awareness to think about, you know, not, not us being separate or trying to fence off these areas and say, just, you know, um, just keep people out or, or whatever, but how do we coexist with uh, the rainforest to con- so that they can continue to provide these services on, on which we, we rely so heavily? That makes sense. Uh, most definitely. Uh, John, in your intro, it says here that you have reported from Brunei, Cameroon, Central African Republic, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea, Peru, and Rwanda. And then it says you're currently living in Afghanistan. Are you still living in Afghanistan? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm a, my wife is a, a humanitarian uh, worker, and okay. so we've been there for uh, almost two years now. Now, now, all the areas that you reported from, I mean, none of them are kind of developed countries as such. Um, most of them would be deemed as third world or developing nations. The, this issue of rainforest knowledge, climate change, the countries where you have reported from, are they not victims of... Uh, a change in their climate because of the, the the greed of the consumer in the Western world. I, I yeah, I mean, I think you know that's absolutely. I would say I would say I agree with that one hundred percent. And that's you know, that's the you know, obviously the changes that happen to <clears throat> excuse me the tropical rainforest as a result of you know the the emissions uh, that people in the global north. Um, and and the only reason that came to mind was with the floods in Pakistan. Uh, um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the monsoon has been seven hundred times more than what it normally is. Whereas Pakistan's um, you know contribution to emissions is is minuscule comparatively. It's, yeah, no, it's barely a rounding error when it comes to what the you know the United States or or, or uh, you know parts of Western Europe put out, right? I mean, that's, that's a huge issue. And I think, um, you know, absolutely, I think that's, that's something, again, that goes back to being a human rights issue. How, how do we go forward as a global society to, to address those issues? And I think, I think, personally, I believe it starts with trying to cap our emissions, or not just cap them, but lower them or, or move them as close to zero as possible in the global north, because we are the greatest source of of uh, carbon emissions, 
Um, I also think the concern right now is out, potentially outsourcing the mitigation of that carbon, you know, the, the carbon that's in our atmosphere. So shifting the burden of um, absorbing that carbon dioxide by telling these communities in these tropical, tropical forest countries that they have to set aside this land because we need it, we need the forest there to absorb our carbon dioxide, if that makes sense. So it's in some ways, uh, uh, you know, we're burdening these communities with, uh, you know, the changes to the, the global climate on the one hand, but then we're also asking them to help us fix it. And, and that may involve foregoing development opportunities through agriculture and, and, and logging and that sort of thing um, in these forests that, you know, are resources that, you know, 100 or 200 years ago in the United States, we re readily use. Now, it's not tropical rainforest in the United States, but it's, it's the same principle, if, if you see what I'm saying. Yep, I get what you, I know where you're coming from. John Cannon, thank you so much uh, for taking time out and coming on to The Breakfast Show this morning. I wish you a fantastic uh, day ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you. Same with you. Great to be with you. Thank you. And that was John Cannon, who is a staff um, features writer with uh, Mongabay, a non-profit environmental science and conservation news platform. Um, God doesn't waste anyone's virtue. Uh, a story which was told by the promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community on whom be peace. He said, we should worship that God who grants reward for a thing, however small it may be. God is pleased with humans, even if a sip of water is given to someone. There was once a woman who was traveling in the jungle. She saw a thirsty dog on her way. She weaved a rope from her hair and fetched some water from a well. The thirst of the dog was quenched. The Prophet of Allah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, God accepted that act of hers and forgave all her sins, although she had remained wicked throughout her life. Water is a huge life-providing theme in the Holy Quran. God talks about how he creates life through water that sustains it by streams, the rains, rivers, oceans, and that are homes for so many creatures as we have heard from all of our guests. And Allah has sent down rain from the sky and given life thereby to the earth after its lifelessness. Indeed, in that is a sign of people who listen. Chapter 16, verse 65. In a response to a question on climate change and how, to, how it can be tackled, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, the fifth caliph of the, uh, fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand. He said, climate change is a problem everywhere. It's all across the world, especially in the third world countries where the populations are increasing disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing new residential areas. And because of this, forests are being cut. And this deforestation is a major use, major cause of climate change. So you may have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return i mean one of the one of the one of the points that made by all of our guests also is that individual as individuals our greed um our our need to to feed um our desire to want more and more and more material things um is also part and parcel 
um, of the reason why so many rainforests are being uh, destroyed. Um, our, our greed, and we don't like to call it greed, but that's what it is, um, is, is, is um, um, it might be feeding our desire um, and feeding our, our greed. And greed is something, you know, they say it never finishes when, when, you, when you reach number, when you aim and you desire to reach 10. And when you get to 10, you think, well, I want more. And you get to 20 and 30. Well, it's forever. It's forever going. The only, the only one who can control that is you. So maybe everyone as individuals, we, including me, myself and I, need to start looking and start self-reflecting. As like His Holiness has always spoken about over the past decades or so, how the first, the first and first um, step to, to, to repent and, to, uh, and to, 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 to correct our own shortcomings is to be truthful, to be truthful to ourselves and self-reflect and see what we can do in in looking to change our behaviors in our attitudes it's all well and good talking to organizations and um, and all these other activists and governments and blaming everyone um, and and always pointing a finger at someone else maybe we need to start looking at ourselves and looking at our own actions before um, before we start um, blaming others it is narrated by Anas bin Malak um, Allah's Messenger, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, There is none amongst the Muslims who plants a tree or sow seeds than, than a bird a per, or a person or an animal eats from it, but it is regarded as a charitable gift for him. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, Kayyum. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, how he is the perfect man. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. The life of life at a time when Christian empires ruled the world, when atheistic philosophies were beginning to spread, and when the Muslims were turning away from their own faith. One man took up the pen in defense of Islam. First time he sees him. He says that my heart testified that this was the Mirza who I'd come to see and I would be ready to lay down my life for him. This is the story of a humble man who became the Messiah of the age, who sacrificed everything for his faith. 
who faced the most foul opposition. He writes himself, in fact, in February 1903 of the Review of Religions that even people in my village never inquired about where I went or what I was going to do. This is Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, Messiah of the Age. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayoum. Um, it's coming up to 8.27 a.m. on the 6th of October 2022. We're going to go on to our topic of the morning, the final topic of the morning. Um, and before I introduce the topic, um, you know, it's it's just just to recap what we what's been happening. Uh, we started the show with uh, with with the, you know, what the paper said, and the papers always um, cover nowadays leadership. Um, there's always about governance, whether it be UK, whether it be Europe, whether it be um, international news. Um, one thing that every everybody they can't they don't have a choice they have to agree on is that there just isn't any leaders left in this world a lot of people say yeah you know a lot of people who want to create an argument and they think they're playing devil's advocate always say well putin is a good leader well well we're seeing what kind of good leadership he is showing in, in that sense and i'm trying to be ironic here i mean you know the, the fact that he is very decisive and he's very um, in your face and and he's like uh, you know he puts his foot down he's it's non-negotiable that's not necessarily being a good leader yes he's he's got presence in uh, you know understandably but um i i would per- on a personal note i, I think that I, I cannot see anybody uh, in in, the, in our political arena um why where, where there is any form of of leadership and it does make one wonder that you know all of these first world developed nations um are struggling they all it it it's a question in fact i was talking to my brother engineer uh, my brother in 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 uh, in in the engineering uh, um, room and uh, brother Zishan, and he asked me this this question and he goes well with, with all these countries who are developed and all of these nations who call themselves the first world they're supposed to be the the uh, the examples they're supposed to be the the countries who are the most civilized yet why is it that these countries also with having so much yet suffer um and and they kind of bring suffering upon themselves about with 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 what they do um, and why is it that they're always the first one to judge others and and it's always in in and it's in this day and age you know the one um kind of get out clause or the get out uh, conversation to to be had is um and politicians do this um and even other um you know mainstream organizations tend to do this uh, 
is, is to attack Islam. Islam has been the 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 get out um, of of any um, um, politicians um, um, who has been kind of stuck in a corner, and suddenly um, they they uh, are able to find an angle in in which they can be anti-Islamic or um, be Islamophobic, and and suddenly they seem to find themselves out of a corner, and I wanted to. I wanted to challenge that narrative um, in, in this last half hour of the show to, to give an idea that we live in a world where there's no leadership. We live in a world, even so-called Muslim countries, where there is there, there is absolute um, lack um, and absence of leadership. Um, yet, uh, if one was to look at Within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we have um, our spiritual guide, our leader, uh, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, who is always, forever, um, telling us um, about uh, the teachings of the Promised Messiah, uh, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and whom be peace, who himself declared himself uh, the servant, the slave, of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, because the promised Messiah only came to um, to claim to be the Messiah because the world has got to a stage where everybody had had lost they had lost faith. They did not believe in God in practice. It was all verbal, even if one looks at today, you know that that is a continuation of that belief system. A lot of people have that there's a lot of lip service whereas there was there is no practical um, acknowledgement um, and, and there's no action followed up by that lip service whereas the 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 message that was brought um, or has been brought and and been carried forward um, within the Amri Muslim community is the message that was brought to the world by the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him who talked about Islam um, as a universal religion. He talked about how the Holy Quran, which was revealed God of word, uh, revealed God, um, revealed revealed word of God, revealed to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And the Holy Prophet himself was an embodiment of the Holy Quran. So the words of God were acted upon by the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And the words of God are perfect. They are the perfect guide to as to how you live your life. Now, if the word of God is perfect, so of course the person who is going to be, an, uh, uh, you know, uh, living those words will also be deemed as the perfect man. And history shows, uh, if one was to look back, history shows that the pre-Islamic era was full of superstition and barbarism. You know, um, the, the, the Arab society at that time... Um, was was full of ignorance. They used to bury daughters alive because they deemed them as uh, uh, um, as barbaric. It was an age of ignorance, um, and that is where uh, the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, delivered a message to humanity that enlightened every aspect of human life. We always talk about Islam is not just a religion and a faith. is is a lot more than that. It's a way of life. Um, 
carrying with it solutions to every problem that humanity would ever face, be it political, economic, social, judicial, moral, and spiritual. It is for all times, places, people. Even the enemies of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as a very trustworthy, they called him very trustworthy and truthful man. There are many misconceptions surrounding his personality and actions. Um, a lot of people kind of, uh, and, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, all the Western world only talks about an Islamist. There's a blame and there's a sense of responsibility that also falls upon the Muslims themselves or the so-called Muslims who, um, who have created innovations and who've created traditions and customs, which, which, and then they've, they've wrapped it up with a bit of religion and they've called it religion. And they've mis and they've diluted the message, and, and of course, when the original message to what it is today it is completely different. It is time, um, you know. I, I, you know, it is time that we learned the true character and personality of the most important individual in, in not just Islam but for mankind. He was the mercy, a mercy to to mankind. I mean, discussing spiritual levels, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, uh, on whom be peace the promised Messiah, when he wrote about the Holy Prophet, he says this highest condition was vouchsafed to one and only one person in the entire world. Namely, he was the perfect man. He is alone in the culmination and apex of human excellence. It is in his person that the evolutionary cycle of human potentiality reached absolute perfection. Indeed, he is the last point on the higher scale of the extended line of God's creation and constitutes the absolute pinnacle of all spiritual heights. The name Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, signifies the most praised one or the one who is the supreme embodiment of all perfection and excellence. Just as the Holy Prophets, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, innate spiritual station was extremely exalted and so high and lofty, the quality of revelation vouchsafed to him was also very high. It is too exalted a station for me or the Messiah to attain. Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was a law-bearing prophet. He was not a novelty, as there had been such prophets before him. He was directed to proclaim, I am no innovation among messengers. Chapter 46, verse 10. This means that Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had prepared, had been prepared by God as a fit and appropriate channel for conveying divine law and guidance to mankind. This verse also implies that his personality had been moulded to the end that he illustrated conformity to the law and guidance in his own conduct. Enough is known of his early life to enable one to form a fair idea of his qualities and character. After he received the divine call in his word, his every word, act and gesture was observed and a complete record of them has been preserved. That was necessary, for otherwise not only would there be lack of certainty and confidence, but his life could not furnish us with an example of what he taught the world. Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was a human being, no more, no less. And that is so important to, uh, to, to emphasize that. But we, we, don't, we, didn't, we don't worship um, a lot of people, they, they don't understand um, um, the, the, the emotions um, of Muslims when, 
when under the guise of freedom of speech, um, uh, people feel it necessary, people find it okay to insult the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. They don't understand. Um, they don't understand the the connection um, of the Holy Prophet to the existence, the the existence of of uh, of Muslims as individuals themselves. As I said, he was he was he was a human being, no more or no less, and therefore he could serve as an example of mankind. He possessed no supernatural powers, nor did he claim to 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 have any uh, supernatural powers. He was subject to the same conditions and limitations as his contemporaries. He suffered more than most and achieved outstanding success in his life. His life had many facets and passed through many phases. Like other men, he was a son, a husband, and a father. He had been a servant employed by a master and was a citizen subject to the authorities of his town. God Almighty appointed him a teacher and a guide and a perfect teacher and a perfect guide for that matter. He immediately became an object of scorn and derision and soon of bitter persecution. He was a loving and watchful shepherd of his little flock. If you read um, uh, about the life of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah uh, be upon him. I mean, there's a book called um, Life of Muhammad, which you can um, um, you, you can uh, access it if you go to alislam.org uh, and uh, or if you contact your local Amdiya Muslim community uh, members, which again you can find online. Um, you'll be able to get a free copy of this book and 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 i can assure you it will it will not just open your eyes uh it will open your mind and your hearts as to the true nature um of uh of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and it will it will kind of enlighten you as to why um, i can speak from an ahmadiyya muslim perspective why um the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him is looked upon as the perfect man um and and the true nature of 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 uh, of who he truly was as a human being, um, and the the way that book is written, um, you won't help but feel an affiliation uh, to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. As I said, fr- from a human perspective, he 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 had all the normal relationship that everybody else has. He was a son. He was a father. He was a husband. He worked. Um, you know, um, he worked for someone. Um, he. Uh, because of his truthfulness, because of his piety, because of his honesty, because of his just uh, behavior, because of his um, um, his belief in um, in the oneness of God, he was persecuted. Um, and you know, for a man of peace, who wanted peace, who prays, who 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 did nothing but um, uh, practice peace, yet he was persecuted. Um, by the Arabs um, for his belief, um, and you know he 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 showed the most courage. He showed endurance and perseverance, uh, and he did not uh, attack. He always defended. Um, as I said, he was a man of peace. The due discharge of the trust and responsibility which God had been placed had be, had pleased to place upon his head demanded the establishment and preservation 
of peace. I mean, Islam, why why is it that peace is so important? Because the literal meaning of Islam is to submit. I know sometimes a lot of people say Islam is peace. Well, th- before that, yes, it is peace. But Islam is to submit. And it's to submit to the will of God. And the will of God is peace. The, the enemies of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings, would, would let him have no peace. They forced him to take up arms in defense of the most fundamental human right, freedom of conscience. We talk of freedom nowadays. We talk of freedom without having responsibilities. We talk of, we actually live in a society where we abuse freedom. Freedom has boundaries. Freedom has, has parameters. If you have no parameters, if you take away the parameters of freedom, you cause anarchy and that is not um th- that is not peace anarchy will only cause um um disruption and if one was to look at the world today especially the so-called developed world there is an absolute need for someone to to come in and and talk of peace in the in, in its true nature and that is what's missing and everybody talks of freedom of conscience the consciences that disappeared the conscience are conscience of of the 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 people or the governors or the um, or the leaders of today is always it's got an asterisk on top of it is always subject to terms and conditions or is subject to if it doesn't um, um, if it doesn't suit our need we won't do it it's a conscience which is always subject to it is never a, a, a true conscience in in essence and practice. Everybody talks about Islam being a, a violent religion, yet the Holy Prophet hated war. He hated conflict, but he it was his right to defend himself. He strove to render it humane. He abolished all savage and barbarous practices. He commanded in battle, but scrupulously refrained from personally shedding any blood. His strategy, his strategy was faultless. And this is not me saying it as a Muslim. If you were to look in history... If you were to look at some of the historians who are not Muslims and leaders in the past who have who have nothing but um, um, compliments in in the leadership of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to give an unbiased yet positive account of his characters. Um, you know, it, I'm, I'm going to go through some of the writings of the of the non-Muslim writers to illustrate how he appeared in the eyes of some non-Muslim writers. Pringle Kennedy, a British author and barrister, he writes in his book, Arabian Society at the Time of Muhammad. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He says, Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was, to use a striking expression, the man of the hour. In order to understand his wonderful success, one must study the condition of his times. By 650 AD, a great part of his world became a different world from what it had been before. It is one of the most remarkable chapters in humanity, human history. This wonderful change followed if it was not mainly caused by the life of one man, the prophet of Mecca. Whatever the opinion one may have of this extraordinary man, whether it be that of the devout Muslim who considers him the last and the greatest herald of God's word, or of the fanatical Christian of former days who considered him an emissary of the evil one, or of certain modern Orientalists who look on him rather as a politician than a saint, as an organiser of Asia in general and Arabia, 
and in particular against Europe, rather than as a religious reformer, there can be no difference as to the immensity of the effects which, has, which his life has had on the history of the world. To those of us who whom the man is everything, the milieu, but little, he is the supreme instance of what can be done by one man. Michael C. Hart, an American author and researcher in his book, Though Hundred, has ranked the great man in history with respect to their influence on human society. He ranked the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the most influential man in human history. He wrote in his book, My Choice of Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to lead the lists list of the world's most influential persons may surprise some readers and may be questioned by others, but he was the only man in history who was supremely successful on both the religious and secular levels. Of humble origins, Muhammad founded and promulgated one of the world's great religions and became an immensely effective political leader. Today, 13 centuries after his death, his influence is still powerful and pervasive. The majority of the reasons in, this, in his book had the advantage of being born and raised in centres of civilization, highly cultured or politically pivotal nations. Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, however, was born in the, in the year 570 in the city of Mecca in southern Arabia at a time of a backward area of the world, far from the centres of trade, art and learning. Orphaned at the age of six, he was reared in the modest surroundings. Islamic traditions tell us that he was illiterate, his economic position improved when at the age of 25 he married a wealthy widow. Nevertheless, as he approached 40, there was little outward indication that he was a remarkable person. Like all religion, religion's Islam exerts an enormous influence upon the lives of his followers. It is for this reason that the founders of the world's greatest religions are all figure, figures prominently in his book. Since there are roughly twice as many Christians as Muslims in the world, it may initially seem strange that Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has been ranked higher than Jesus. There are two principal reasons for that decision. Firstly, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, played a far more important role in the development of Islam than Jesus did in the development of Christianity. Although Jesus, peace be upon him, was responsible for the main ethical and moral precepts of Christianity, St. Paul was the main developer of Christian theology. Its principal poly proselytizer and the author of a large portion of the New Testament, Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, however, was responsible for both the theology of Islam and its main ethical and moral principles. Furthermore, Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, unlike Jesus, on whom be peace, was a secular as well as a religious leader. In fact, as the driving force behind the Arab conquests, he may well rank as the most influential political leader of all time. S.P. Scott, an American scholar, writes, In the history of the Moorish Empire in Europe, if the object of religion be the inculcation of morals, the demotion demu of, of evil, the promotion of human happiness, the expansion of the human intellect, if the performance of good works will avail in that grey day when mankind shall be summoned to its final reckoning. It is neither irreverent nor unreasonable to admit that Muhammad, 
and peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was indeed an apostle of God. Lamartine, a French historian, writes in his book, History of Turkey, about the Prophet Muhammad, and peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He writes, philosopher, orator, apostle, legislator, warrior, conqueror of ideas, restorer of rational dogmas, the founder of 20 terrestrial empires and one of spiritual empire. That is Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. As regards all standards by which human greatness may be measured, we may ask, is there any man greater than he? The life of the holy founder of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is an open book to any part of which one may turn and meet with interesting details. The life of no other teacher or prophet is as well recorded and accessible to study as is the life of the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. This abundance of recorded facts has unfortunately given malicious critics their opportunity. But it is also true that when the criticisms have been examined and disposed of, the faith and devotion that results from it cannot be inspired by any other life. A religious book, as we say, can have little appeal unless a study of it can be supplemented by a knowledge of his teacher. Hazrat Aisha, the youngest wife of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, expressed a great and an important truth in a crisp little sentence. She says, It is impossible for a true and honest teacher to teach one thing but practice another, or to practice one thing but teach another. What Hazrat Aisha may on whom be peace evidently wanted to say is that the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him was a true and honest teacher he practiced what he preached and preached what he practiced to know him is to know the holy quran and to know the holy quran is to know him the life of muhammad peace be upon him the last pilgrimage Nine years after the Prophet migrated from Mecca to Medina, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, went on a pilgrimage to Mecca. On the day of the pilgrimage, he received the revelation containing the famed verse of the Quran, which says, This day have I perfected your religion for you, and completed my favor upon you, and have chosen for you Islam as religion. Chapter 5, verse 4. This verse said in effect that the message which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had brought from God, and which by word and deed he had been expounding all these years, had been completed. Every part of this message was a blessing. The message now completed embodied the highest blessings which man could receive from God. The message is epitomized in the name Al-Islam, which means submission. Submission was to be the religion of Muslims, the religion of mankind. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, recited this verse in the valley of Muzdalifah, where the pilgrims had assembled. Returning from Muzdalifah, the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stopped at Mina. It was the eleventh day of the month of Zulhijjah. The Prophet stood before a large gathering of Muslims and delivered an address, famed in history as the farewell address of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In the course of this address he said, O men, lend me an attentive ear, for I know not whether I will stand before you again in this valley and address you as I address you now. Your lives and your possessions have been made immune by God to attacks by one another until the day of judgment. 
God has appointed for every one a share in the inheritance. No will shall now be admitted which is prejudicial to the interests of a rightful heir. A child born in any house will be regarded as a child of the father in that house. Whoever contests the parentage of this child will be liable to punishment under the law of Islam. Anyone who attributes his birth to someone else's father or falsely claims someone to be his master, God, his angels and the whole of mankind will curse him. O men, you have some rights against your wives, but your wives also have some rights against you. Your right against them is that they should live chaste lives and not adopt ways which may bring disgrace to the husband in the sight of his people. If your wives do not live up to this, then you have the right to punish them. You can punish them after due inquiry has been made by a competent authority, and your right to punish has been established. Even so, punishment in such a case must not be very severe, but if your wives do no such thing, and their behavior is not such as would bring disgrace to their husbands, then your duty is to provide for them food and garments and shelter, according to your own standard of living. Remember, you must always treat your wives well. God has charged you with the duty of looking after them. Woman is weak and cannot protect her own rights. When you married, God appointed you the trustees of those rights. You brought your wives to your homes under the law of God. You must not, therefore, insult the trust which God has placed in your hands. O men, you still have in your possession some prisoners of war. I advise you, therefore, to feed them and to clothe them in the same way and style as you feed and clothe yourselves. If they do anything wrong which you are unable to forgive, then pass them on to someone else. They are part of God's creation. To give them pain or trouble can never be right. O men, what I say to you, you must hear and remember. All Muslims are as brethren to one another. All of you are equal. All men, all men, whatever nation or tribe they may belong to, and whatever station in life they may hold, are equal. While he was saying this, the Prophet, peace be upon him, raised his hands and joined the fingers of the one hand with the fingers of the other, and then said, Even as the fingers of the two hands are equal, so are human beings equal to one another. No one has any right, any superiority, to claim over another. You are as brothers. Proceeding, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, do you know what month this is? What territory we are in? What day of the year it is today? The Muslims said in reply, they knew it was a sacred month, the sacred land, and the day of the Hajj. Then the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Even as this month is sacred, this land inviolate, and this day holy, so has God made the lives, property, and honor of every man sacred. To take any man's life, or his property, or attack his honor, is as unjust and wrong as to violate the sacredness of this day, this month, and this territory. What I command you today is not meant only for today, it is meant for all time. You are expected to remember it and to act upon it until you leave this world and go to the next to meet your Maker. In conclusion, he said, What I have said to you, you should communicate to the ends of the earth. Maybe those who have not heard me may benefit by it more than those who have heard. Sihasitta Tabari, Hisham, and Khamis. There you, there you heard, you know, words of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and, and his last sermon. And I always say to people, um, you know, that the hair stand on, on the end of my arm whenever I hear that 
where when the Holy Prophet said that pass my message on to people who are not here um, because they might understand it better than the people who are present and who are listening. And and I am trying to do exactly that, passing on the message that the Holy Prophet and we as Muslims um, try and do exactly that by passing on the message of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And if you look at the message, what is that message? He talks about the rights of man. If he talks about how you practice and you give the rights of man, you will seek the pleasure of God Almighty. He talks about rights of women. We live in the twenty we live in twenty twenty two and we fight about rights of women in this society. Yet we demonize a religion which gave rights to the earth, we gave rights to man, woman, children, neighbors more than fourteen hundred years ago. I would like to thank all of our guests for coming on to our show this morning. I want to thank um, Zishan Urshad, our, um, our tech engineer. Thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to our producers, Halima Ahmed, Saleh Ahmed, uh, researchers, Zoya, Hania S. Kanta. Uh, thank you for taking time and uh, uh, listening to us. Please forgive any shortcomings on my part. Please remember me in your prayers. May God bless you all. May God be with you all. Until next time, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.